Section 22 Of Stories Without Tears This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Siami Akhtan Izmir, Republic of Turkey Stories Without Tears by Barry Payne Section 22 the Celestial's Editorship 1. The Celestial This was merely his nickname. Having finished dinner, collected his faithful follower, Smithson, and proceeded down the hill from the schoolhouse to Hunley's. He posed several times on the way, once in an unsuccessful attempt to make a pug dog bite Smithson, and once in order to make Smithson jump a low stone wall by the roadside. Smithson was compelled to jump this wall at intervals when the Celestial decided that it was good for him. Once in every five times Smithson cleared the wall, which was distinctly disappointing, but the other four times he fell, and there were few people who could get more comic illustration into a fall than Smithson. This time it was particularly good. In fact, the Celestial had to climb up on the wall and sit there until he had recovered himself. I'll bet this is the last time I ever go at that beastly thing, said Smithson, and he rubbed his shin. So he said before my son, it won't do. A chap who can fall like you ought to belong to the nation. When they reached Hunley's, the little shop was full. Banks, said the Celestial, kindly step down from that throne. Banks was occupying the one chair in the shop. He got down under protest. And the Celestial, having taken unto himself three raspberry jam tartlets and a stick of chocolate, and commanded a vanilla ice to be ready for him the moment he had finished, observed with a deeply serious air that we all ate and drank far too much. Seen the mag? somebody asked. No, said the Celestial. It's out this morning. It can stop out, said the Celestial. I'm not going to look at it. That's all round for the sixth and the masters. Real talent isn't given a chance. At any rate, they chucked me, he added modestly. There was a general chorus of disbelief that the Celestial had ever sent any contribution in. He had many eccentricities, but no one had ever accused him of a literary turn of mind. Smithson expressed a decided opinion that the Celestial could not write anything even if he wanted to. All right, fathead, said the Celestial. If I didn't value this particular tartlet, I'd break it over your face. I tell you, I did send something in, and it did get chucked. And if you don't believe me, you can ask the novel and scholarly Pilkington, who's the editor thereof. What did you send? asked Smithson. I sent a short essay entitled Hopers, Their Treatment in Sickness and in Health. As the senior mathematical master, a man of small size and great agility was known throughout the school as the Hoper. The rejection of Cyprian Langsteig's article may be easily understood, quite apart from any question of its literary merits. If you will kindly cease this unmannerly and intempestive laughter, said the Celestial, 
with an excellent imitation of his headmaster's manner of speech. I will give you a few thoughts that have occurred to me on this subject. Fat Hat, eat one of these green things with a red stripe around them, and tell me if they are any good. The school magazine is rot. It contains reports of concerts telling us how the swan-like voice of Smithson was heard to great advantage. It informs us that the Reverend J.B. Jiggers, this was a purely imaginary name, has kindly presented to the school library a volume entitled What a Little Girl Can Do. It gives up poems by the noble and scholarly Pilkington, and it chucks a few transient and witty remarks by the brutal and licentious Lengstyke. He took his adjectives from the history he happened to be reading under compulsion at the time. The only thing that is any good is the match scores, and barring the outmatches, we generally know a lot more about them than the magazine does. It has been well observed by the immortal lackey or some other bounder that without competition, trade cannot thrive. It's the same thing here. What we want is an opposition magazine of our own, with me to edit it. You'd never get Pilkington or any of these chaps to write for it, said Banks. Oh, my sacred aunt, said the Celestial. Do you think we want Pilkington? Do you think we want a yard and a half of poetry called Thoughts on a Summer Evening? Avant. We don't want the Sixth, and we don't want the Masters. If they come in at all, they will come in as the subject of a few critical editorial remarks. My magazine will be a society magazine. It will tell you all the real news. It will show up abuses. It will give character sketches of great and notable people, such as Henry Reginald Liggers, M.A. Likewise, the Hoper. It'll be in his manuscript. The Smithson will have to write it out. Everybody who wants to read the number will have to pay a penny. And a surplus after paying expenses will go to the Banana Society. The Banana Society had also been invented by the Celestial. Its aim was to provide a small fund to enable the Society to buy bananas in great quantities when they were two a penny. Such cheapness was temporary, and without a fund, full advantage could not be taken of it. The discussion of the magazine continued, and various duties were assigned. Banks, for instance, was required to provide accurate information as to all the headmaster's dinner parties, including a list of the guests and exact transcript of the menu. Douglas was to furnish short biographies of any visitors at the schoolhouse. That's all very funny, said Douglas, but how am I to get him? That is your lookout, said the Celestial. You got a tongue in your head. If you do not see what you want, kindly ask for it. And that way we should rise on stepping stones of our dead selves to higher things. As the Joser remarked, who did the stuff that the Sixth had to cork into Lygiacs this morning? How did you know? asked Smithson. Because, fathead, I heard the stuff being given out to them, and that don't explain how you remembered it, said Smithson, who never remembered anything. Well, said the Celestial, 
I cannot stop to explain it to you, because I'm just about to give my celebrated imitation of a lion-hearted English schoolboy cutting crooked on a beastly hot Saturday afternoon and getting a surreptitious swim in the River Rethy. I'll come too, said Smithson. You will bet your last boots you won't. As Socrates very pointedly observes, where one can slink out all right, two may be missed. Two, in due course of time, Langsdyke's home truths made a successful appeal to its limited public. The method of production was original and has not yet been followed by the bulk of the leading London magazines. This celestial lay at full length on his back on a table in the day room, having in his hand a rough pencil notes of news given to him by his accomplished staff. Smithson knelt on the floor with a penny exercise book and his ink pot on a form beside him, and took down the paragraphs that his editor dictated to him. The magazine consisted almost entirely of paragraphs. The following are some of the more elegant extracts from the first number. Anyone who is reading this magazine is requested to keep it in his locker when he isn't. We would wish to ask, as a matter of public interest, whether the pro is not intended to coach the eleven, and if it's necessary for him to waste half an hour every day sending easy ones down for the hopper to hit, so that he may fancy himself. We are informed by the secretary of the Banana Society that the price of this fine and succulent fruit at Mr. Stanford's Emporium is now one and a half D each. They are pretty big ones, but that does not excuse it. It's a great pity that chaps with more money than brains should encourage it by buying them. It would show more public spirit if we all had a little loof, and then, when they all began to go brown, old Stanford would have to climb down a bit. Bananas of this size, at two for one D, even if they had begun to go a little, would be eminently desirable. General Maine, or Mainer, has been stopping at a schoolhouse. He took lunch at the school dinner yesterday and sat next to the novel and scholarly Pilkington. We are given to understand that the gallant general was something or other in Afghanistan. The remaining details of his life are unknown. Pilkington was heard to observe in conversation that he was not a bad old cuck. In the match against the Hopers team last Saturday, our esteemed collaborator, Mr. Banks, in a frantic attempt to prevent a cricket ball from pulping his face, found that the ball had accidentally stuck to his hand. As he has been speaking rather freely about catching their best bet, we think it well to give this information. The noble and scholarly Pilkington has purchased three neckties. He also inquired the price of pearl pins, but no business resulted. The tone of the magazine was decidedly personal, and that made talk. The celestial was far from thirsting for fame, but it happened that even that great man Pilkington, editor of the legitimate school magazine, Prefect, and in both the team and the eleven heard of it and tackled the celestial on the subject. What's all this about your magazine, Langstyke? he asked. 
It's nothing much, said the Celestial modestly. You see, we thought it might do to practice in, and perhaps later we might get to be good enough for the real magazine. Well, said Pilkington, as far as you are concerned, you might be good enough already. Anyhow, it's no good sending in things which are aimed at masters. You're too beastly chicky. I see, said the Celestial sadly. However, I said I like just to run my eye over the thing. Bring two or three of the numbers up to my study, will you? The Celestial ran over his back numbers in his mind and could not recall a single one which did not contain remarks of a personal nature likely to be offensive to Pilkington. So as he was not hungering and thirsting for the licking, he said that he should be very glad and forgot about it. When Pilkington reminded him later, the back numbers were not to be found. In Pilkington's presence, the Celestial inquired most diligently for these back numbers from Smithson and Banks and all the others. They, none of them, seemed to know anything. But as time went on, the Celestial grew lazy and deputed the greater part of his work to Smithson. Consequently, one number appeared of which the Celestial had never seen the last page, and when he saw it, he was angry. It's no good talking to you, fathead, he said. You got no sense. Just read that through again. He pointed to the offending paragraph. Yes, said Smithson brightly. I did almost think of leaving it out, but it was Duncan who sent it in, and he might have turned shirty, and I was in a hurry to get the thing finished, and... All right, said the Celestial. No one else has seen it. You black it right out, and I'll go and have a talk with Mr. Duncan. The celestial interview, like almost everything that he did, was half in fun and half serious. A superficial observer might have thought that Duncan was merely being ragged. Duncan, who had every means of knowing, was under the impression that he was being licked. The chastisement was deserved. It was all right to chaff the Hopper and the other masters, but this paragraph dealt with, with that very different thing, a master's wife, a lady, moreover, who was extremely popular in the school. As the Celestial observed, even if the lady in question were not beautiful, there was no reason for a sandy-haired, pudding-faced pig of the prairies like Duncan to call attention to it. The chastisement was administered smiling, and it left Duncan with a strong desire to propitiate the Celestial. Now Smithson was about all things a slow, conscientious, and painstaking boy. He had been told by the Celestial, his lord and master, to black out the offending paragraph, and he had only got a G-pen to do it with. He decided that the G-pen was necessary to execute the job thoroughly, and as Dobson, in the junior day room, had an entire box of J-pans, Smithson went off to appropriate one. It was while he was absent that Mr. Liggers sauntered into the room and took up the paper. His eye fell on the offending paragraph. He had just finished it when another master called to him, and he went off to play fives. He had forgotten to confiscate the paper, but he could do that later. 
When his game was over, he went to his own rooms, and the page boy who waited upon the masters in the schoolhouse came down to the day room to say that Mr. Liggers wished to see Langstyke. See that? said the celestial cheerfully. He loves me so much that he cannot keep away from me even for one hour. There was all this time almost perpetual warfare between Mr. Liggers and the celestial. Go back again, he said sternly to the page boy, and tell Mr. Liggers that I regard a message like that as cheek, and if I get any repetition of it, I shall write to his parents and stop his pocket money. The page boy grinned. Two minutes later, an extremely polite Langstyke knocked at the door of Mr. Liggers' room. I wish to see you, Langstyke said Mr. Liggers. With reference to some sort of publication in manuscript that I found on the table in the day room, it bears your name, and I suppose you're responsible for it. Yes, sir, said the celestial. I did not examine it at length, but it appeared to me to contain a good deal of impertinence. It was not intended to be shown to the master, sir. Quite so, said Mr. Liggers, quite so. I see the justice of that plea. We do not expect you always to speak of us with the same respect with which you speak to us. But if you speak disrespectfully of us and allow us to overhear, you have to take the consequences. If you produce a magazine and leave it about where we can find it, you must take the consequences of that also. Strictly speaking, said Langstyke, it shouldn't have been left about. We made a rule that it was to be kept in the lockers when it wasn't being read. Well, well, said Mr. Liggers. I can settle afterwards what we will do about your precious magazine. What I wanted to speak about particularly was one paragraph in it, dealing with the wife of one of the masters. You'll let that paragraph go in? Yes, sir, said the Celestial. Well, I don't expect much from you, but I thought you were more of a man than that. Who wrote it? The Celestial hesitated. Well, practically I did, he said. There is no practically about it. You did or you didn't? Then I did, said the Celestial. Then you will learn for me by heart the first chorus in the... Agamemnon, if it were any use, I would ask you to try to behave more like a gentleman in the future, but I do not think it is. Boys of the type that would do that kind of thing would be better out of the place altogether, and that's how I expect you will end, Langstyke. Now you can go, and send up that number of your magazine to me at once. Langstyke was extremely angry as he came down the stone stairs. He could not, of course, have given Smithson away or Duncan, more especially as he had already punished Duncan himself. Still, he did not much like being spoken to in that way, and it was only the fear that on some further investigation the real culprit might be discovered that made him submit quietly. There were many inquiries when he got back to the day room as to what Mr. Liggers had wanted. He wanted, 
said the celestial, to know if I could come to tea next Sunday to meet the Emperor of Jigaboo. I explained that I drew the line at emperors, and in a fit of uncontrollable passion, the bounder has given me the first course to learn by heart. Smutson, Aeschylus, forward. Show Agamemnon's. 3. After dinner that night, Mr. Liggers unbosomed himself to Mr. Dunham, another master in the schoolhouse. You have sometimes accused me, said Mr. Liggers, of being a bit too rough with that chap Langstyke. So you are, said Dunham. This Salacio's all right. Well, I happen to know he isn't. Here he produced a number of Langstyke's home truths. This is a pleasant little amateur magazine that he has been running, and I'll ask you to hear what this chivalrous little beast has to say about Mrs. Morris. He turned to the place in the magazine and looked blank amazement. Why, he said, the paragraph has all been deleted. Look at that. Yes, said Dunham, a very artistic piece of work. It would take at least ten minutes to black it out like that. When was it done? Liggers wrinkled his forehead and could find no way out of it. When I sent for Lenskyk, he certainly didn't know that I had ever seen the magazine. When he left me, I told him to send it up to me at once. There would have been no time to delete anything at all, especially in that finished style. Then here are a few simple deductions. The thing was deleted before you ever made any row about it. It would seem so, Mr. Liggers admitted. And it was deleted by the Celestial or by his order. For I think the rest of the senior day room know that he is a dangerous chap to play games with. That may be so. It must be so. Now, if he deleted it, you may be absolutely certain that he did not write it but he told me himself that he did write it. That is just what I should have expected from that boy. You see, this magazine is no five. I doubt if he would be able to keep up an active interest for the space of five numbers. He would hand the work over to the faithful Smithson or somebody else in his crowd. Well, said Mr. Ligger snappishly, if he chooses to tell me a direct lie, he must take the consequences. Oh, yes, said Dunham. It was a direct lie right enough, though he wasn't lying for his own sake. However, let us be moral. What are the consequences? The first chorus of the Agamemnon by heart. Never mind that, said Dunham. You probably told the chap he was a cad. So, would you in my place? Very possibly, said Dunham. If I had, I, I should take it back. Well, I shan't. Dunham changed the subject abruptly and spoke of a coming cricket match. Why should I? said Mr. Liggers peevishly. Because you think you should, said Dunham. Very well. Anything for peace and quietness. I shall see him in prep tonight. I have been looking over your magazine, Langstyke, said Mr. Liggers judicially, and I see that the paragraph to which I particularly objected has been deleted. When was that done? Done this morning, sir, 
In that case, perhaps I expressed myself too strongly when I saw you upstairs. It seems that after all you had some sparks of decent feeling. That being so, and on the understanding that the magazine is discontinued, you need not finish that chorus in the Agamemnon. Thanks very much, sir, said Langsteich. But I knew it by heart before you gave it to me to do. I learned it for fun, and I'd only got to freshen it up a bit. Bring me your Agamemnon. Now then, begin. The Celestial repeated the chorus from beginning to end, with an occasional hesitation, but he required no prompting. That's very good, said Mr. Liggers briefly. Later, when all the boys had gone to bed, and he and Dunham sat smoking together, Mr. Liggers suddenly broke off from the subject in hand to say, If there is one thing in this world that I cannot understand, it is that chap Langsteich. That said Dunham dryly has always been fairly obvious. End of section 22 Recording by Siami Akhtan Izmir, Republic of Turkey